Welcome to the Not Old Better Show, Smithsonian Associates interview series on radio and podcast. The show covering all things health, wellness, culture, and more. The show for all of us who aren't old, we're better. Each week, we'll interview superstars, experts, and ordinary people doing extraordinary things, all related to this wonderful experience of getting better, not just older. Now, here's your host, the award-winning Paul Vogelzang. Welcome to the Not Old Better Show Smithsonian Associates interview series. I'm just in a great mood today on Radio and Podcast, where your experience meets our innovation all in the golden years. I'm Paul Vogelzang, your guide through the fascinating world that surrounds us. Today, we are venturing into a realm that's foundational to our daily existence, yet often remains an unsung hero in our stories. In this episode, we are set to embark on an exploratory journey. Imagine the invisible networks that power up your morning coffee, bring water to your gardens, and pave the paths you walk on. This is the world of infrastructure, silently supporting every facet of our lives. Joining us today is special guest Smithsonian Associate Deb Chatra, author of the enlightening new book, How Infrastructure Works, Inside the Systems That Shape our world. Deb's experience growing up where access to everyday utilities was a challenge has given her a unique appreciation for these essential systems. She's here to share her insights and expertise, highlighting how crucial infrastructure is, especially in the lives of our Smithsonian Associate Not Old Better Show audience. Deb Chatra will be appearing at Smithsonian Associates coming up, so please check out our website for more details on Deb Chatra's Smithsonian Associates presentation titled How Infrastructure Works Inside the Systems That Shape Our World. But we have Deb Chatra today, and today's conversation goes beyond mere appreciation. We are diving into actionable insights. How can we, as proactive members of society contribute to the sustainability and improvement of the infrastructure that underpins our daily lives? What roles can we play to ensure that these systems continue to support not just us, but also future generations embedded in what Deb Chatra calls networks of mutual care and how Deb's own grandmother would not recognize her today? If my great-great-grandmother were to see me on an evening, puttering around my apartment, making dinner for myself, doing small household chores, or just sitting on the couch reading, she could easily conclude that I was an entirely self-sufficient loner, because my daily life looked so different from hers. What wouldn't be immediately visible to her is the way that I'm embedded in networks of mutual care. They are social, with my friends and family, professional, with my students and my colleagues, and civic, political, and economic. Each network includes people right next to me and people on the other side of the world. Even though the source of my water or the energy that powers my lights is invisible from inside my home, these infrastructural systems, with the technologies, organization, and enormous amount of human labor needed to keep them functioning, are also networks of mutual care in which I am inextricably bound. Just like infrastructure, the human work of caring for other humans is also generally taken for granted, underappreciated, and undervalued. It doesn't scale, it doesn't produce a direct return on investment, and it can't be put off or ignored. 
nor can it easily be replaced. Care is so dependent on context and on embodied human interaction that it can't easily be automated, made efficient, or optimized. People are intrinsically adaptive, resilient, responsive, locally situated, and appropriate, exactly what we need from our infrastructural systems in an era of climate instability. We need this community, society, and civilization-wide commitment to collective systems of care. We especially need these commitments as we navigate the transition that is anthropogenic climate change. That, of course, is our guest today, Smithsonian Associate Engineering Professor and author Deb Chatra, reading from her new book, How Infrastructure Works Inside the Systems That Shape Our World. So wherever you are, whether settling into your favorite chair or post-holiday enjoying meal, (laughs) or you could be out enjoying a brisk walk, join us for this enlightening journey. Let's celebrate the unseen and understand the profound impact of the intricate world beneath our feet and all around us. Stay with us here on the Not Old Better Show, Smithsonian Associates interview series, as we start this fascinating conversation with Deb Chatra. Deb Chatra, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. This is really going to be a wonderful conversation. I'm excited about this. I grew up in a household of builders, and um, your subject, of course, and, and your new book for Smithsonian Associates is How Infrastructure Works Inside the Systems That Shape Our World. Congratulations on the book, and I hope all's well, and I'm looking forward to just jumping right into this. So let's do that, and let's start perhaps, Deb, with... Just tell us briefly about your upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation. You're going to be using Zoom to engage our audience. We're all on Zoom these days. Maybe tell us a little bit about what you're going to do there, too. Well, you know, I have to say I'm kind of excited because the book is all text. And the joy of actually giving a a book talk, whether on Zoom or in person, is that I get to share some of the wonderful sort of photos and images from the places that I've been. So that's mm-hmm. certainly one of the things that I'm most looking forward to, that things that I described using words I now get to share um, photos of. But of, of course, I'm an engineering professor, so I've have been teaching for many years, including like, like you know, many educators teaching heavily on Zoom um, over the, um, during the pandemic. So, um, so certainly, you know, I understand that it lends itself to uh, the, these types of um, broad conversations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think that is particularly nice because when you think about infrastructure, at least for me, uh, you know, when they work really well, they're kind of hidden in plain sight. And yet we know when something isn't work, it, it doesn't work and, and isn't working. And uh, our street, our own street where we live is full of potholes. I would chalk that up perhaps to some infrastructure needs. And, um, and there, there are many others. So I, I think this is just such a great topic and one that will be uh, so nicely supplemented by by images I, I wonder what what inspired you to bring this topic into into the spot like we we hear infrastructure all the time these days it's a uh, a revenue and tax related matter and and I think some of us are are concerned as we drive around certainly in our neighborhood as we hit a pothole it's concerning <laughs> but what is what does this all mean to you and I as an engineer of course it means a lot but perhaps tell us what the what the book represents in your world 
So, you know, there's this classic idea that you write the book that you wish existed in the world. Mm -hmm. And so like many of us, like you said, you know, we're all we are becoming increasingly aware of infrastructural systems around us. And in part, that's because we are seeing the cracks in these systems. Right. And in part, because they're literally in the news every day. If you open any major newspapers um, homepage, I guarantee you that whether whether they call it infrastructure or not, you will see some story related to infrastructure. And of course, the third reason for that is because it's these are the systems that are most affected by anthropogenic climate change, as well as the systems that most contribute to climate change, because mostly they're how we use energy, and most of the energy comes from fossil fuels. So all, you know, so our infrastructure is, is kind of in our... Um, in our perception in these kind of three different ways, right? The direct experience of it, and then the understanding that these systems are gonna be affected by climate change. So it is absolutely a thing that is um, something that we are all increasingly aware of in both good and bad senses. But the thing that I realized was that there's a tendency to think of infrastructure as, oh, it's the problem for the engineers. And then, but at the same time, we understand, we deeply understand that infrastructure is social. And this, we know this because of the outrage that many of us felt about um, the lack of clean water in Flint or in the aftermath of Hurricane Sandy and Hurricane Maria. So we understand that a failure, that we understand that these systems are, are, let me try it again. We understand that these systems are social, and we especially understand that the ways in which these systems fail is a social and a political choice. Hmm. So the insight. So the Let's try one more time. <clears throat> you think you think this is the question I know how to answer perfectly by now, but I'm working on it still. You're, you're doing great. I mean, please, um, as I say, I like to have a good time, and this is wonderful <laughs> stuff. So thank you. Great. So I think the main perspective of the book and the argument of the book is that the technological side of it, how these systems work from a very basic engineering point of view, that it's about energy and matter and networks and the social aspects of the systems, the political aspects of these systems are linked together in a way that we can't consider one side or the other. And so coming from an engineering background, thinking about these social systems made me realize that I could communicate how these systems work by tying them together and bringing both of those aspects of it to more people so that more of us can understand these systems so more of us can think about how we want to um, build these systems and rebuild these systems for the future. As is the case so often with authors that I, that I talk about, um, there's a very much a personal narrative at, at play. And and in your work, that's, that's the case, certainly from a per an engineering perspective that that's true you also bring with you some experience uh surrounding infrastructure as you grew up in in urban india and you you talk about that in the book and i wonder how how those formative years influenced this perspective about why infrastructure dependable infrastructure i think maybe is a better way to put that dependable infrastructure systems are so critical to us so um, actually, Paul, I'm just going to I'm going to start by actually clarifying and you may want to rethink it, which is actually I grew up in Canada. So let me let me start there. So, Were you so. Oh, OK. I missed uh, that. Yeah. Okay. Yes. We'll get there. We'll get to that. So okay. um, so I grew up in Canada, but my parents are immigrants from India, which meant that I spent part of my childhood in their family home in India. Mm -hmm. And then as an adult, I emigrated from Canada to the States and I've traveled around around the world, both professionally and personally. 
So one of the things about infrastructure is that because it's just the way you do things, we tend not to notice the systems around us, and they become much more apparent when we travel. Um, and the the you know the very simple you know um, the very simple experience that many of us have have is, for example, that realizing that our electrical appliances or electrical um, devices won't work without a different plug when we're traveling. But because as a child, I was living in Canada where I had access to this extremely reliable infrastructure, but also spending time in India where the infrastructure was much less reliable, much less well-developed, unsurprisingly. It made the, the systems visible to me in a way that they might not have otherwise been, right? Just like when we travel as adults and we, we think about electricity in a way we never think about it when we're at home, I had that experience as a child visiting India and realizing that, oh, like having water, clean water available 24-7 isn't necessarily a thing that everyone has having reliable energy without or excuse me having reliable electricity and never having blackouts or even brownouts is not a thing that everyone has so being exposed to different um living in different places as a child meant that i was exposed to different kinds of infrastructure and different sort of levels of different quality of infrastructure yeah, I will rephrase my my question. I'll, I'll do that in post too. So thank you. I, pr I appreciate that. Um, so Deb Chacha, I want to ask you a little bit about the human machine symbiosis and the symbiotic relationship that that exists between humans, machines, the infrastructure. This idea, you know, and and in particular, um, the 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 relationship that provides our day-to-day -day autonomy, freedom, and, and the concept of freedom. I wonder if you'd tell us a little bit about how your work, the book, it, it discusses that concept and, and brings that to bear because I think that's, that's important to us. If, if for no other reason, then you know, we, we look at bridges and just see them as you know, big, big pieces of, of steel and, and concrete, but there's very much a human component to this. Um, so I really love Amartya Sen, who's a Nobel Prize winning economist who looked at development, developing um, communities. And he described um, wealth or money as providing us with the means to live the kinds of lives that we have reason to value. That nobody wants money for its own sake. Is that it, it's, what we want is the freedom to do what we want to do with our lives. And I submit that if you live in a country that has kind of full stack infrastructure on a day to day basis, it's not money per se that allows you to do what you want to do with your days. It's actually the presence of these infrastructural systems. And so I mentioned that my parents were immigrants from India mm -hmm. and um, I'm aware that I'm pretty much the first woman um, you know, my mother would be sort of in this category, but the the two of us in our generation are, are essentially the first woman in our family that have had our basic human needs met through infrastructural systems, right? That I don't spend most of my days getting fuel for cooking. I don't worry about getting water for my family. All of these things are just taken care of by these infrastructural systems. And it means I get to do other things like talking to you today, Paul. Mm -hmm. um, Thank you. And sorry. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah. So so at a very, very basic level, because these systems meet our basic needs, they mean that that's not what we have to do every day. And this has long been an argument 
um, for why we want to build out these systems and why we want to build them out for everyone is because they enable civic, political, economic participation because it means that you get to do things other than taking care of your basic needs. And then, of course, as we also know, as we use telecommunications and mobility, it enables us to do things like connecting with people in new ways, creating economic systems that go farther, um, creating sort of new types of activities, new types of connections with each other. Hi, it's Paul. Do you love entertaining, informative, eclectic, insightful programs about culture, health, science, life, and everything Smithsonian? As part of our Smithsonian Associates interview series on radio and podcast, we're introducing you to the new Smithsonian Associates streaming series. Smithsonian, a nonprofit organization, is excited to present this new aspect of their 55 years as the world's largest museum-based educational program. Join us from the comfort of your home as we periodically interview Smithsonian Associate guest speakers. Our audience here on radio and podcast can explore our website for more information, links, and details at notold-better.com. Thanks, everybody. Our guest today is Deb Chatra. Deb Chatra has written the new book, How Infrastructure Works. Deb Chatra will be appearing at Smithsonian Associates coming up. We'll put links so that our audience can find out more information about Deb's book, about her upcoming presentation, and details about the tickets and availability. Deb, thanks so much for joining us. I want to talk about something that I, I think we, we both – understand you much differently than and than me and and perhaps our audience but there's this economic conundrum really this kind of very important element behind infrastructure and when we think about the economic aspects of infrastructure you talk a little bit about this in in the book how we we celebrate new projects yet there's neglect of maintenance of of older projects and probably should be the reverse. And so I wonder what your thoughts are on kind of shifting this notion so that we're ensuring the longevity uh, and efficiency of these systems rather than just celebrating their birth and then kind of ignoring them thereafter. Uh, Trying to figure out what the right way into this is. Um, So on the one hand, like we 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 notice when our infrastructural systems fail. So we of course that means we do not notice when they continue working perfectly. Um, so like yes, we are aware of where our infrastructure has been neglected. And I think as I said, we're very conscious of the fact that we're facing this transition of infrastructure. Um, so we uh, sorry, I'm gonna start this over again. Um, I feel like I'm trying to parse. Let me think about parsing your question, Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, is the question, how do we shift from the, like, we get excited about making new things mindset mm-hmm, to mm-hmm, maintain, yeah. how do we get excited about maintaining yeah. maintaining things? Yeah, okay. I mean, we, we break a bottle of champagne on the bow of a ship, you know, and then we don't necessarily see everything below the water, but there are things going on there that we need to pay attention to, yet over time, that's right. not necessarily the focus. <laughs> <laughs> and. Um, so okay. on the one hand, it's like, I do not, um, I don't think like, yes, I think we should be committed to the care and maintenance of these systems, but I don't think it's a thing that many, most of us don't want to think about this on a daily basis. <laughs> that's kind of the point, right. About having infrastructure. So that's kind of the first thing, right. Is having that sort of society wide commitment to maintaining and taking care of these systems at a level that we're all 
happy with, a level that does not involve, for example, um, you know, the American Society for Civil Engineers telling us that our our infrastructural systems get a C plus grade. Mm-hmm. But the other piece of it is that, in a sense, that particular ship has kind of sailed. Um, and actually, it sailed in a really wonderful way, which is that we all understand that we are looking at anthropogenic climate change and that we need to think about decarbonizing these technological systems. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of, oh, well, we just need to maintain our systems is actually not where we are. We're at the cusp of this technological transformation of all of our systems to go from being powered mostly by fossil fuels to being powered by renewable energy. So for the last, you know, for our lifetimes, for for myself and for our listeners, for our lifetimes, we've pretty much had the sort of status quo, right? We've had these, these systems and the new thing is telecommunications, but everything else has been functioning pretty much the same way um, over our entire lives. That will not be true for the next generation or the generation after that, right? If you think about our kids right now, they're most likely going to be see the year 2100, which seems like it should be really futuristic and far away. And it's like, no, no, like, you know, my niece and my nephews are probably going to see that next century. Um, so we are not, right now, I think the real issue is not just about how do we maintain the systems we have, it's how do we recognize that there's this other future that is waiting to be built um, and commit to that transformation so that our descendants can take their infrastructural systems for granted in the same way as we take our infrastructural systems or have taken our infrastructural systems for granted. Thank you for that. And, and so you you use the the phrase in a really wonderful way. You know, it, it's changing from a focus to, uh, you know, a, a, perhaps another vision and, and maybe a, a vision of sustainability is what kind of comes to mind to me. And so I think about innovation and your book is it offers a kind of a hopeful tone and and you do refer to this as kind of being a wonderful next step in many many ways so what is it about the future and in particular some of the innovative approaches that that you believe will lead to uh, our future and a sustainable one for for our infrastructure so um this sounds like a very weird thing to say but a lot of it is just kind of basic physics that are um we we live on a planet we live you know on you know a blue marble it's suspended in space mm-hmm. it's surrounded by void and we are based in sunlight right mm-hmm. so there is more sunlight arriving on the earth than we could pretty much ever reasonably use all human activity if all if all humans on earth used activity used energy let's try again if all humans on earth used energy at the same rate as say north americans that would still only be a fraction of a percent of the amount of energy that's arriving on our planet every day. But the flip side is we are, in fact, surrounded by vacuum, right? Nothing really comes in or out. So what that means is that we have unlimited amounts of energy and extremely finite amount of stuff, of atoms, of matter. And for most of human history, we've treated energy as scarce because we could pretty much only get it by you know, finding things that we could burn, um, which was first, you know, things like wood and then became increasingly fossil fuels. And we also treated matter as kind of infinite, right? You could you could dig it out from somewhere and then you could use it and then you could dump it later. 
But we're running up, as many people have pointed out, against the sort of planetary boundaries that the stuff that we're digging up in one place is ending up in another place and we're hitting the limits of that. And the most obvious example of that, of course, is carbon dioxide, right? It's carbon from the ground being burnt, ending up in the atmosphere, changing the characteristics of our atmosphere. But this is true for all sorts of pollution, right? For micro microplastics and the like. At the same time, so, you know, if, if we remember, you know, Jimmy Carter saying that, oh, we want to use um, less oil, so we're going to turn the thermostat down and put sweaters on. We understand that throughout human history, using less oil, using less fossil fuels has meant having less energy available to us, right? And that historically means doing less things in the world, right? We use energy to do things in the world. What has changed is that in the last 20 or so years, largely because of really excellent sort of policy decisions and really hard work by researchers and engineers, we've pretty much solved the problem of how to um, harness renewable energy. So this is when you see um, wind turbines, this is when you see solar panels, right? These are now known technologies that we're figuring out how to deploy at scale. Mm -hmm. So that connection between energy usage and, and carbon dioxide and greenhouse gas emissions has now effectively been cut. We can reduce our carbon dioxide emissions without reducing the amount of energy that we use, without necessarily turning down the thermostat and putting on a sweater. And this is unprecedented, but this does recognize the actual reality of our planet, which is that we have lots and lots of energy, but we don't have unlimited amounts of matter collectively. But the thing we can transform them to is one that is in alignment with the actual physical reality of our planet, a place where we have energy, but we're limited with matter. And it's one where we now have all of the technologies that we need pretty much to do it. We're now figuring out the social questions of how do we rebuild these systems. Deb Chacha, this new book is titled How Infrastructure Works Inside the Systems That Shape Our World. It's getting great reviews. Clive Thompson, author of Coders, The Making of a New Tribe and the Remaking of the World, says how infrastructure works gives you x-ray vision into our built environment. It's also a ton of fun to read. Chatra is a gifted stylist and a first-rate intellectual guide. I thought that said a, a, an awful lot about the book, Deb Chatra. And I, I just, I just really appreciate your time. We're looking forward to seeing you at Smithsonian Associates coming up. I really just have one final question for you. How, how can we, as your audience, the average person, readers, how can we get a little bit more involved in the in in the infrastructure that we rely on daily? What what role does education play in that and, and maybe teach us and inspire us a little bit? I really love the anti-abolition activist Mariam Akaba's idea that you can work at the short, medium, and long term and that you can work at uh, the individual level and at the um, the household or the community level and the larger level. And because I'm a giant nerd, I think of this as a three by three matrix, right? What can I do in the short term by myself? And like, you know, what can I do in like the long term as a society? And so, so then it's like, okay, well, what can I put in each of these, you know, one, each of these nine boxes? And one of the things that I really want people to take away with is that there is no, um, there's no right way or wrong way to do this. There is an enormous amount of work that has to be done. And we all have different capacities to do different things at different scales. So some things might be really hard for you to do 
at an individual level. So I live in an apartment. And so, you know, the, the, my heating is shared with the building. So I'm, I'm not the person who gets to individually decide, oh, I'm going to take out the furnace and put in a heat pump. Um, I am someone who can decide, oh, you know what? I'm going to buy an induction burner and use that instead of my gas stove. Um, but then I live in, I live in Cambridge, Massachusetts and Cambridge has a program to, um, purchase renewable electricity that I don't, that the city just sort of manages. So you can just ask the city to say, Hey, I would like to have all of my energy come from renewable sources. And they talk to the utility company and they make it happen. So everyone has access to different things that they can do. And it really is dependent on, um, your sort of individual household and where you live and what kind of life um, you lead. But if th- if we think of it uh, in terms of what can you do on the, the short, medium and long term, what can you do at the sort of individual or the community or the larger level, then that provides lots of entry points for um, thinking about how to make these kinds of changes. Thank you. Deb Chacha has been our guest today, author of the new book, How Infrastructure Works. When we think about reservoirs and transformers, sewers, cables, pipes that deliver water and, and importantly, energy today. This is all in the book and will be featured in the presentation by Deb Chacha at Smithsonian Associates. Thanks, for, thanks so much for your time. Again, congratulations on the book. And as you do more work on this, I, I know our audience will be interested. We'd love to have you back. So I'll just just throw that out selfishly for you but (laughs) (laughs) thank you for your time today and my best to you have a great rest of your day great thanks paul i'm sorry we went over thank you for having me today oh no that's fine that's great as we bring today's episode of the not old better show to a close i want to extend a heartfelt thank you to smithsonian associate deb chatter for joining us deb your insights and the deep dive into your new book, How Infrastructure Works Inside the Systems That Shape Our World, have been nothing short of enlightening. And for our audience, eager to learn more, Deb Chatra's upcoming presentation at Smithsonian Associates is an event not to be missed. Check out our website for all the details. A big shout out, of course, to the amazing Smithsonian team for all they do to support the show and for making these conversations possible. And to you, our cherished listeners here on radio and podcast, your presence and enthusiasm are what make the Not Old Better show a beacon for knowledge and inspiration. But our conversation doesn't end here. Let's keep it going on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, X, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Just search for the Not Old Better show on Linktree and everywhere and join our growing community. Don't forget to like, follow, and share. As always, remember our mantra, talk about better. Stay well, stay safe, and let's continue this journey of discovery and conversation. Be sure to tune in next week for another engaging episode of the Not Old Better show, Smithsonian Associates interview series on radio and podcasts. Thanks, everybody. And until next week, let's talk about better. Thanks for joining us this week on the Not Old Better Show, Smithsonian Associates interview series on radio and podcast. Thank you.